0: Hey, this is Carolyn Hennessy and you are listening to TV Confidential. The diamonds, daisies, snowflakes, bad girl.
1: Ed Robertson, along for guest David Hofstede, gave us latest book, When Television Brought Us Together, provides a fresh look at Father Knows Best, The Brady Bunch, That Girl, The Andy Griffith Show, and other favorite TV shows from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, while also asking whether the values reflected by these shows still apply in our ever-changing world today. When Television Brought Us Together, available right now through our friends at Black Pond Press. And speaking of that, girl, before we went to break, we were talking about the final season of That Girl and why the series ended with Anne Marie and Don Hollinger engaged but not married.
0: And the reason for that was revealed on one of the commentary tracks for the That Girl DVDs where Marlo Thomas had said she was not going to participate in that episode. The network wanted Anne and Don to get married as well but she thought that was a limiting in the sense that it told young women at the time that marriage was something that they had to do. It was, uh, it was their only path forward in life. And as an early feminist herself, she didn't think that message was a very healthy one. Now, we can agree with that or disagree with that, but I think if that's the message she wanted to send, Maybe a lot of those earlier episodes should have been tamped down as well. Because really, when you're talking about a television show like this, it, re- it shouldn't be what the actor wants for the character. It should be what the character mm-hmm. wants, as that character has been consistently portrayed over a very long period of time. So I think that ending sent some very mixed messages to viewers. And unfortunately, they were never able to do the revival or the reunions that so many of those classic TV shows have done over the years since then. So we feel as viewers, we were still left with some unfinished business out of that, girl.
1: Two things. One is, as it happened, about a week ago, I finished the fourth season. And the final episode of the fourth season, the title is called All's Well That Ends. Now, that's an allusion to Shakespeare, obviously, and the show established that Shakespeare was Anne's favorite writer, and, of course, she was an actress, and she did stage and all that stuff. But it's a very, very sweet ending where Anne falls asleep on Don's shoulders, and Don literally picks her up and tucks her into bed uh, and then leaves for the night. And she wakes up in the tag... And Don leaves this beautiful note in which he expresses how much he loved her. And knowing what I knew about the backstory behind the fifth season, which you just uh, summarized for our, our listeners, had they ended it with the fourth season, I think that would have been a far more satisfying ending for viewers than the uh, ending we gotten at the end of year five.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I understand that actors are always going to have some influence over the characters they play I mean I remember when I interviewed Jacqueline Smith for the Charlie's Angels book she uh, she told me about a first season episode of that show that explored her character's background and childhood and the show had already established that Kelly Garrett was an orphan and she had had some rough early years before she was put on um, a positive path and that particular episode suggested that the character may have worked for a brief period as a prostitute, just to make ends meet. And Jacqueline Smith said, I'm not comfortable playing that. I don't think that should be a part of this character's history. And the producers agreed and they took that out. And I think those kinds of situations are fine. But with that girl, we already know that Anne Marie is head over heels in love with Don Hollinger. Mm -hmm. And that she accepted his proposal and that the marriage would have just been a very natural next step in that relationship. So to pull the rug out from under people, I think that's a case where maybe the show should have won out over the actress.
1: Although we should point out, and David does point this out in his book, Marlo Thomas produced that girl. It was done by her production company, so she did own a piece of the show. So it wasn't just an example of an actor of an actress expressing her concern. She was the boss,
0: so she she did have more to say on that as well. But again, I think maybe these discussions should have gone on a little further at the time because even now, all these years later, for people who will watch the whole series through as you are doing... Uh, it's a very good show, it's a very sweet show, it's a very funny show, it is. but the aftertaste is, is a little bitter as a result of how it ended, and if they didn't even acknowledge it at the end of the last episode, I don't know if you've gotten there yet, was kind of a clip show. It is, it's, back it's, past it's, it's, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> very <laughs> underwhelming way to go out. <laughs>
1: Yeah. David Hofstad is on the line with us. David's latest book, When Television Brought Us Together, will not leave a bitter taste in your mouth. It is a thought-provoking, often whimsical look at many of our favorite shows from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, what David calls the comfort TV era, and whether the values reflected by those shows still apply in our ever-changing world today. When Television Brought Us Together, available through our friends at Black Pond Press, as well as Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Uh, you bring this up both in your discussion of the Bob Newhart Show and the Andy Griffith Show. Once upon a time you could have Bob Newhart as Bob Hartley play drunk. The most famous example of which is the Guy Pan episode uh, that takes place on Thanksgiving Day. You can't do that anymore.
0: No, you can't unfortunately and That was such a great showcase for actors whenever they got the opportunity to play those situations. Um, It was like a hanging curveball to a (laughs) 300-hitter. When you saw that scene on the page uh, and you had those comedic instincts, you knew you could hit a home run uh, with those moments. And uh, if you talk to a lot of fans of the Bob Newhart show, I think the Over the River and Through the Woods episode would emerge as one of their very favorites because of that extended uh drunk scene with uh with Bob and uh and Howard and uh, and Elliot Carlin. uh it's it just hilarious and it wasn't just an isolated moment that went on for for between 5 and 10 minutes yeah. of oh, comedy and you know unfortunately again changing times changing cultures uh that is presented now as being a negative viewpoint, I guess. It's seen that this is not the way people are supposed to live now, I guess. I don't know. I, don't, I certainly don't think anything in those scenes was advocating alcohol <laughs> as a salve as, as, as to your problems or uh, uh, anything like that. I think it was just meant to be a part of life that a lot of people experience and, and learn from and don't go back to again because it's not a good way to go through your life. And Television is being called upon to to do a lot more of that now, to say, no, this is how you should think about things. This is how you should act in your life. And those parameters have narrowed to the point where a lot of things that used to be taken for granted as subjects for humor are now no longer considered appropriate. In fact, we're seeing that in the way a lot of these shows are being broadcast on stations like MeTV, where they are cutting yeah. uh, scenes, they're cutting references in the dialogue, they're cutting images in the background because they don't conform to something, to our contemporary values and our contemporary way of looking things, let's say that. And um, I don't know if it's fair to expect them to live up to what our viewpoints are in the 21st century because they weren't made in the 21st century and things were different back then. Two, two, Whether two. that's a better or worse result is one of the things we explore throughout the book.
1: The book being When Television Brought Us Together, available through Black Pond Press, Amazon.com, wherever books are. So, two things. One is if I remember correctly, the tag of Over the River and Through the Woods ends with Bob having a hangover. It's either later that yes. night or the next yeah. morning. So, <laughs>
0: Bob, uh, is that feeling very good? And yes. doesn't. Feel any better when uh, over a hundred dollars worth of Chinese food is delivered? Yeah, yeah.
1: So there. So, so there, there's your message, subtle or otherwise, you know, about the value of overindulging on Thanksgiving Day when, when Emily is visiting her her parents. But the other thing, and this speaks to something you just said, is on our program, our colleague Tony Figueroa talks about context a lot, in that you have to look at the context of the time of when these shows aired or even the context in which a certain subject is portrayed to really understand, you know, what's being said, if anything is being said at all. And it's unfortunate that, you know, some of the cable channels are pixelating stuff because you're imposing a 2021 lens on something that was done 40 years ago. In some cases, imposing meaning that wasn't necessarily there.
0: That sense of context has has certainly been lost um, I did a blog not that long ago about an episode of room 222 that is currently airing in syndication I think I don't know if it's still on uh, a network called aspire TV and there was an episode where there was some suspicion that one of the male students might be gay and there were some jokes, aimed at his direction, and in one of the most important scenes in that episode, he is walking down the hallway, and he sees a crowd gathered around his locker, and as he walks toward that locker, the crowd sort of parts, and he sees a word that's been scrawled across the locker. But what that word is, someone watching that episode now would not know because it was blurred out. And you have to think that that was put there for a very specific reason. It was there to show how harmful that kind of word can be. And, you know, this is 50 years ago Mm -hmm. on Room 222 Mm -hmm. when, when homosexuality was a topic rarely broached in any network television show. So in that sense, it was even more important that audiences got this message that was being conveyed to him and how wrong that message was. So, as you said, context really should play a far more significant role in these decisions um, than it does now. And my view has always been to let this material play without any cuts, any edits. And if you have to, put a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode saying some material may be inappropriate for younger or more sensitive viewers. And then leave it at that. We'll let the viewer decide whether they want to watch it or not, instead of the network or the uh, station making those decisions for them.
1: David Hofsted's latest book, When Television Brought Us Together, available through blackpawmpress.com as well as amazon.com, wherever fine books are available online. David, Hofsted, also the publisher of Comfort TV, excellent blog about many of our favorite shows from the 50s, 60s, 90, early 1970s, the Comfort TV era. Comforttv.blogspot.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. What to you are some of the best examples of shows that embody the values uh, that you discuss in your book, David?
0: Well, as I said earlier, I think the shows that resonate with us most are the shows that we discover in childhood. So while I wouldn't say it was ever the best written or the most award-winning show, uh, The Brady Bunch still kind of holds that place. Uh, In my heart, I remember watching first-run episodes of that when I was five, six, and seven years old. And then after it left Prime time it went immediately into syndication and it played throughout the country in those three o'clock, three thirty time slots. So right when you got home from school, you were able to watch it again and over the years those characters just sort of crept into your bloodstream. You know, you, you knew them so well. You knew them better than some members of your own family. And there was just a wonderful ordinariness about that show yes, the family did come together in a unique way, where a widower with three kids marries a widow with three kids, but that was not something that was brought up much, certainly not at all beyond the first season, yeah. In the first season just in a handful of episodes. It's very interesting to me that a lot of shows, uh, children of divorce or who lost their parents, that was not something that was an ongoing thing in their lives, as it is in real life, but television at that time was more interested in entertaining and telling people stories that would help them forget about their problems rather than burdening you with a lot of the problems of the characters on those shows. And that's definitely a big difference between comfort TV era and a lot of the TV we have now. I always find it interesting when that sort of level of sameness that runs through these shows that there's certain formulas that tend to repeat themselves over the years and over the seasons that, that is considered a drawback to the shows rather than an advantage to them. If that makes any sense. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think if you have to shock your audience to get their attention, maybe you didn't have that much to say in the first place, you know? Um, Uh, There's an interesting comparison here, Uh, if you know the show Veronica Mars, which was very popular for the three seasons that was on and Mm -hmm. brought back as a feature film, Mm -hmm. and then was most recently brought back in another limited series, and in the final episode of that, out of nowhere, one of the main characters was killed in a way that a lot of fans turned against the show very quickly because it was viewed as a cheap stunt. It was viewed as not something that came out of the narrative and it didn't give them an interesting place to go forward from. Whereas if you look at M.A.S.H. and the equally shocking death of McLean Stevenson's character, Henry Blake, you know, that had a much greater impact because it came out of a believable situation. Um, And it was all the more tragic for it happening when it did so i mean that would be one example for me uh and we talked off air about the dick van dyke show you said that's something you were going to to take a fresh look at pretty soon yes um, i think for situation comedies for me that's the one that comes close to being the best one ever made it was an accomplished workplace comedy with the cast that you had at the offices of the alan brady show it was an accomplished home life and family life comedy with Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore as a, a wonderfully engaging couple. It presented a, a positive view of the suburbs, which has since come under fire as being boring <laughs> and bland uh, a lifestyle because you don't live in the big city. Uh, who wouldn't want to live in those suburbs where, with the dinner parties that the Petries threw and the entertainment that they had? In their living room, you know, somehow they always were able to dig up a band. <laughs> to play. Well,
1: well, Gladys Gladys Kravitz would say that uh, Morning Morning Glory Circle was a pretty happening place. Unbewitched.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. But um, of course, they had some advantages that the Petries did. That is
1: correct. Test, that is correct. How,
0: how quickly they were able to to dig up all the traffic of the great party. But yeah, the Dick Van Dyke show to me is has always been sort of the the hallmark of what a great situation comedy should be from from the writing to the performances to the cleverness of the stories um that's the uh, that's the top drawer for me we've uh, I think as a writer there there was a little bit of a connection there as well cuz Rob Petrie wrote for a television show and it explores some of the ways that um and some of the frustrations that come with that particular territory
1: Well, in many respects, we said this in our tribute to Carl Reiner a few months back, in many respects, the Dick Van Dyke show created the modern sitcom as we know it today.
0: Yeah, I I would definitely tend to agree with that. And one of the things I bring up in the book, to me, was the most ironic aspect of the show, is that Dick Van Dyke's character, Rob Petrie, never really considered himself a serious writer because he wrote for television. His aspiration was always to write a novel. And there were episodes where he talked about how what he does wasn't as important, uh, wasn't as interesting. It had no lasting power. And, of course, these were the early 60s Mm -hmm. where where you didn't have DVDs. We had no idea that these shows would still be running every day somewhere 50, 60 years later. And most
1: people still got their information from the newspaper. That was the primary source of information in the early 1960s.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, when we look back on that now, I mean, you could say that Carl Reiner had an impact on our culture through his writing of television more than what, 95% of novelists? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 98% of novelists? Because uh, I mean, there were no books that were read by the majority of people in the country, really. really? Uh, whereas television, of course, it was in every home, and everybody was watching those shows. We were all watching them together.
1: David, Ho- David Hofstad's latest book, When Television Brought Us Together, available through dot amazon.com other online retailers. David's blog, Comfort TV, comforttv.blogspot.com. David Hofstede, always a pleasure to talk to you. I look forward to our next conversation soon.
0: Thanks,
2: Ed. I appreciate
0: it.
1: And speaking of Tony Figueroa, Tony will join us when we come back on TV Confidential.
2: All legal fees are only covered once you receive your money. So if you've lost a loved one due to COVID-19, call the legal helpline right now to find out if you qualify for a cash award. Here's our number. 800-915-8054. 800-915-8054. 800-915-8054. That's 800-915-8054. Paid for by the IPG Law Group